When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Autosport Podcast. The Silver is back. Sort of. Mercedes have now launched their latest F1 contender, the W15. They've switched up the livery while looking back to previous designs, but all eyes are on the upcoming season. Clinching the second place from Ferrari at the last minute, can Mercedes return to the fight for first place? Well, I'm Bryn Lucas, and I'm delighted to have joining me this time Matt Q and Philip Clearan. Welcome both. Hi, Bryn. Yeah, I think it's uh, one of the most anticipated launches of, of the 10 this year, isn't it? Because You've got Mercedes trying to sort of correct their ground effects rot, the narrative of Lewis Hamilton leaving and how uh, sort of obviously what we all want is a challenge for Red Bull. Mercedes, because they're coming from sort of a clean sheet paper design, it feels like they've got more capacity to to close that gap as opposed to Ferrari. have had quite a few key technical staff leave um, and McLaren who have have sort of into the winter, they're a bit more circumspect about their chances. And then they spoke sort of around Christmas time, the livery launch, and they seemed really upbeat. And then just before uh, the Mercedes launch, we had the, the McLaren sort of drop and then a press release. And then they seemed a bit downbeat again. So with McLaren always sort of being honest under Andrea, T- uh, Andrea Stella, the team boss, you sort of wonder, are, are they dialing back expectations now? So again, you're, you're looking at Mercedes as... As, as being the team that sort of can give us an exciting championship this year, hopefully. Yeah, I think that humility is really important because they've just had two really poor years. So you're not, you know, you're not going to have to have a, a lavish launch where we have all sorts of bells and whistles. It's just like, here's a car. We know we've got it wrong, not once, but twice. So let's try and, you know, focus on the important bits, try and get an all new car out and, you know, the launch should be business as usual. Well, let's forget about the technicalities for the moment and just focus purely on the aesthetics, the livery. And somehow Mercedes have gone back to previous years with the stars on the rear of the engine cover and the red Ineos stripes, but updated its front end to include both the iconic silver and black designs in one with the silver nose transitioning with the usual Patronus green stripe. What do we both think of the design, Phil? 
actually quite like it. I mean, a lot of people wanted to see the black say a lot of people wanted to return to silver and I guess they both have it in some degree, but I think it's something new and in a way it's sort of a throwback to the, the West McLaren era of the late nineties, early two thousands with the, the silver running through the middle and then black around the sides. I don't mind that actually. I think it's, we've had some really pretty shocking livery so far. So this one is all right. It puts me in mind of, uh, and this is a bit of a clang, but when I when I covered um, a few seasons of Formula E, it's sort of very similar to that livery with the sort of silver nose, exposed carbon fibre, and then you had blue stripes on the Formula E car because electric and electricity means blue, and here you've got the sort of the turquoise of Petronas. But I think it's one of those that, you know, Phil and I are in a very privileged position to go and see these cars in person, and, and that's what you need to see in the sense that when Mercedes returned to an all-black livery last year, that was slightly deceptive. You had some bits were painted black, but in close it was all like swathes of exposed carbon fiber sort of a, a proper sort of prototype finish so you know we know that the carbon fiber is back for weight saving or at least leaving it unpainted so i want to go and see it in person see is that finished black or is it actually all naked and this is their sort of they've they've managed to creep under the weight limits they can have a bit of silver they can throw back you know conveniently to the to the 2020 2021 liveries but this is like the ideal halfway house but yeah it's 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 Obviously, silver is not hugely bold and flamboyant. Obviously, it's Mercedes color, but it's nice to have a splash of something on there. Yeah, the silver arrows, though, when there's not a lot or not a huge amount of silver on there, that's just a bit of a bugbear for me, but I'm sure I'll get over it. Now, let's move on to the car itself. It seems to be a long way off the no-pod design from the W14, incorporating the downwashed side pods and the inlet that we've seen in similar designs across the grid. But is there anything else that you've both noticed from the design of the w15 so in a really like ham-fisted attempt to do a side-by-side comparison i found a few images of w14 and tried to get them to scale on my computer screen see if they match up i suppose one of the things is with the wheelbase and the positioning of the cockpit because we know from very early doors that was a thing hamilton hated he felt he sat too far forward so got you know weight transfer massive pendulum and that contributed to the skittish end so you know, drawing a couple of lines on Microsoft Paint and other processing tools, it looks ever so slightly further back, but I need to see like a proper comparison. Our, our tech guys are working on that. The thing that I did notice most of all, though, oh, you've got sort of a flatter nose and things, but the Mercedes W14 was really characteristic for like having really like hunched shoulders. So, you know, uh, some it sort of flowed from the halo towards a rear ring, sort of this, this sort of bulging surface. It looked almost like, you know, it was sort of, wading into a fight a bit tense trying to sort of got its hackles up looking a bit bigger now it sort of seems much more curvaceous and and goes sort of much more falls much more dramatically into into um, the side pod and you know i don't know about the packaging underneath what that does for center of gravity but it does look a bit more sort of settled and, and lower to the floor and more svelte because of that but that's that's just sort of aesthetics and and what what we can see yeah well, the one thing they did mention is um Obviously, like you mentioned, Q, things like the cockpit positioning, that's all like inherent stuff that you can only really address with a new chassis. Um, but if you look at one of the other main issues that Mercedes had last year, it was how skittish it was to drive the rear and instability. And it does look like they've gone to great lengths to address that. They've been very coy on what they've changed, but they have mentioned stuff like the gearbox casing, they've changed the shape of that. They've gone for an all new chassis. So I think there's a lot of uh, work gone in there, but obviously about 80 to 90% of what you get to see is all 
designed to serve the floor and to improve how the floor works. So a lot of that is not visible to us because it will be on the other side of, of the car. But if you put them side by side, certainly the launch pick of the 2023 car is night and day different. Then they've had this upgrade in Monaco, which was sort of a concept change, which now seems to be an intermediate step to where they really wanted to go with. And in order to actually address all the issues, they needed a, f a fully new chassis. So this is sort of their, the first opportunity to fully uh, address all the issues that they, you know, that they didn't address because they stayed with the concept last year. Yeah, I think we've all latched on to, and rightly so, that like the side pod design is that was what differentiated Mercedes from Ferrari, from Red Bull at the start of this era. And while the bodywork changed last year, as, as Phil says, with the Monaco package, Mercedes were limited by that crash structure. So when they had the zero pods, that sort of strut that, that sort of projected out of the side of the cockpit, that was for um, crash structure. But now they can sort of encase that with the, with the proper side pods. But because the cockpit, was you know crash tested and homologated it was fundamentally in a state of compromise so if you can do the mercedes ground era in a snapshot it's this they simulated that the car would generate most downforce with that zero side pod when it slammed into the ground worked great on a rolling road and in wind tunnels where it's controlled conditions but lumps and bumps it was really un unstable so for last year they raised the car much higher but found an aerodynamic ceiling had been hit. They couldn't extract as much performance as they wanted. So they put it in the middle effectively in, in layman's terms. But instead of that putting it in like a Goldilocks sweet spot, it meant everything was sort of compromised. Nothing was running on the track as it had been configured to run from like the, the I was going to say the, the, the sort of the sketches, but obviously they, they don't do that in Formula 1. So now is their chance to actually ground up, design a car. They know how it's going to work and sort of, yeah design it in a configuration it will run so it's not like sort of flitting between two extremes yeah i mean you nodded a while ago to the incarnation of old and it reminded me when i saw that car out on track of i used to have a pet dog that had a chest infection and she always looked really really uncomfortable like kind of hunched over and looked like she was you know not enjoying enjoying life and i think that could be said about mercedes just a, a short while ago but let's move away from my old dog shall we and back onto the launch itself because unlike sauber and, and a few of the others this was very much a, a no frills no fanfare type affair now mercedes aren't really known for their huge fanfare and their launches this was just toto lewis and george answering some questions so does this hint to their focus for the year ahead just wanted to kind of portray this very professional streamlined entity yeah it's just like i said before it's really about humility i think and knowing that this you know you're not in the right place to to be very brazen or very you know flashy about what's doing they just need to they just need to get the basics right and, and make a good car and then everything else will come from that if you look at I guess two teams that have done the most flashy launch is probably um, RB, whatever you want to call them. Uh, they had the launch in Vegas because they're obviously new team, well, new team, new identity, new sponsors. So they needed to they needed to present themselves. Um, Sauber as well, they needed to present their new identity. Whereas Mercedes, they're just sticking to their that goes, they don't need to sell themselves. They just need to build a car. That's, that's what they need to do. 
Was it the? I just, sorry, I was just trying to do a bit of uh, discreet googling in the background. But was it the W13 that they launched and they had all the the young drivers as well? And I think one of them was Andrea Kimi Antonelli, who's definitely not there this year because he's sort of you know moved into prime contention to replace Hamilton. So I'm sure he was busy testing the F2 car rather than just being sort of kept under lock and key in Brackley. So there can be no sort of none of us speculating as to what he was or what not doing there. But yeah, it was a low key fair. And like, I guess maybe as journalists, we're inclined to latch onto language. And I was put in mind, and this is a bad analogy, but of like Frank Lampard doing his, you know, the, the Frank Lampard meme, which just goes, yeah, 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 no, but seriously. And it felt a bit like that with what they're talking about. You know, we are positive about the gains we've made, darling out the unpredictable handling, but we know Red Bull is so far ahead. But we won't know until the first session of Bahrain. Sort of every now and again, felt like when they're trying to get away from themselves, just checking expectations, both for them and for the drivers, and I suppose for for the watching world as well. I mean, even though he wasn't there, it still got you to go onto a well-known search engine and have a little look, Matt. So you, you're a little monkey you're teasing. There you go. Now Toto was there, and he answered some questions. And he's been uh, with the team now for over a decade. The last two years haven't quite gone to plan and he said i'm just going to quote this that almost every component is being changed but he also said about the expectations being low or not really forcing expectations on what do you both think about his comments and where that leaves mercedes in 2024 well i think mercedes are in a tricky spot because they clearly got it wrong twice in a row and that's really piled on the pressure on both Mercedes and on Toto personally. So clearly they need to get it right. They need to improve. But at the same time, there is the factor of Red Bull. Just, and it's going to be unlikely for any team, Mercedes or any other team, to beat them before the new rules in 2026. So what is success for Mercedes this year and the year ahead? They've not really pronounced any specific results because it's too early. You haven't seen the cars on track. It's, you don't know where you stand. But it, it's tricky because I don't think anybody's really expecting Mercedes to start winning races straight off the bat and, and challenge Red Bull. I don't think that's going to happen. So so where does that leave Toto and Mercedes? What is success this year? They clearly, they've lost Lewis or they're about to. So they they need to sort of find that spark again to build winning cars. So it'll be interesting to see how they, not only how they perform, but how they sort of position themselves like, they used to win everything, now they're not. So what is success now for them? And it's going to be interesting to see how how that translates over the next two years. Yeah, I think you've got sort of two things that keep coming to mind for me is that James Allison said last year that, you know, we might try and put a bit of spin on it, but the reality is from the first laps, you know whether it's a good car or not. Not necessarily that your colleagues can go out and spend their championship winning bonuses, but you know whether it's got potential or not. So you've got that, that if, the car even if it's sort of a um because the, the renders they've sent out they've already said it's an earlier iteration so what we see in Bahrain will be a, a different car again but you know what's the baseline how much can they build on that and also as, as Phil and I are learning from speaking to the team bosses and and, and technical directors from the launches that 2024 and next year, and, and 2025 are almost combined because the focus is on uh, because we've got a period of rule stability at the minute and then the focus is on the new powertrain, new chassis concept for 2026, resources very early on will be diverted to that cost cap. You know, finances will be directed towards that early on, aerodynamic testing restrictions. So basically, if Mercedes are 
lost in the wilderness again for 2024, you can almost take from that that they're not going to be like a regular race winning force in next season as well. And and that goes for the entire the entire grid. If we do want a fight with Red Bull and ent- a much more entertaining season than last, then we need to see some positive signs or a Red Bull uh, dropping of the ball quite early on. You just mentioned James Allison there, Matt, and I think we should probably just nod to him very quickly. I think this is the first iteration of a car that's that's purely done under his watch. What do you think the pressure is like on James Allison to to prove himself this year ahead of 2025 and obviously beyond? He's a very intimidating person to speak to, so I don't know if he feels pressure. Certainly, I feel more pressure speaking to him, trying not to say a daft comment and exposing my absolute lack of understanding of how to design an F1 car. Um but I suppose there is a pressure in a sense that while Mercedes has, you know, been so proud of its no-blame culture. So, yeah, you have James Allison and, and Mike Elliott swapping roles. It was chief technical officer and technical director swapping. James Allen becoming more hands-on. And although it was said it was a mutual job swap and Mercedes is proud of its no-blame culture, it did very much feel to the outside world like Mike Elliott was getting the blame for the ground effects rot. He then leaves the organisation altogether. Again, that could be for personal reasons, doesn't like travelling, sees life outside of F1. But still, they haven't escaped the narrative that looks like one person is taking responsibility and going. So from that, I think there is a natural pressure on James Allison because he's now like, the token talisman, whether he wants to be or not, he designed or he was leading the design team hands-on when Mercedes were in their title-winning pomp. He's gone away. They've sunken. Now he's back. And so the expectation is for him to deliver or or people will look at him and go, okay, Hamilton's going, but he signed a long-term contract. He's come back. You know, that's the glimmer of hope to sort of, for Mercedes fans, for Formula One fans who just want a multi-team battle. That's what they're looking to. So, Again, I don't think James Allison, I might be wrong. I've I, you know, not been for lunch out with the guy, but he certainly doesn't strike me as a guy that sort of wilts under pressure easily. I find him incredibly intimidating, but perhaps there is that underlying pressure on Mercedes as a whole. Is They've restructured whether bringing Allison back in and him signing a new long-term contract was a way of convincing Hamilton or whoever to stay for longer. That obviously hasn't worked out on that side. So does that indicate that the changes they've made, the data they've seen is not enough for Hamilton to stay. And we know, obviously, sorry to get into like the T's and C's of all, but we know he was offered a one plus one contract and that didn't make him feel very special. So he's got his own motives to leave. But has he seen the data and think, I'll at least be no better off at Ferrari? Or has he seen the data and think, actually, Mercedes haven't fixed their problems at all and I'm not getting a great simulator run. So Fred Vassour, yes, please. We'll come to Lewis Hamilton in just a few moments because I just want to find out whether Phil is equally as intimidated by James Allison as you are, Matt. Can you hold a conversation without sweating profusely, Phil? I've not spoken to him one-on-one yet, so we'll have to find out this season if I'm uh, um, passing the the Allison test. Well, good luck, because he sounds like he might be terrifying, if that's what Matt is saying. He's a nice man, but he just... If you... If you expose your lack of understanding, and I, uh, he will go for that. But I don't think that's from a point of maliciousness. I think he's an engineer, and media duties can be quite tedious. So why make it? Why not make it fun for himself? Yeah, technical directors are known for not taking fools gladly. So you have to like show some sort of, you know, pretense that you understand what what's going on. Otherwise, they'll they'll uh, you know they'll they'll struggle to 
to give you the explanation that you want to hear. I'm not saying Matt is, is a fool, by the way. I'm saying all, all of the... That is a correct assessment, Phil. All of the press corps is, uh, is obviously not as technically studied as they are. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in the press corps. We would be there. Well, I think um, what I'm going to take from that is it's a good job I never get to speak to James Allison because I would be massively exposed. <laughs> now, let's move on to Lewis Hamilton then because we all know he's, he's moving on next season or for next season. But his language was interesting during these, these interviews because he's used the words like we and our and us. So he's, he's still using the words that sound like he's still you know, fighting for the cause. And I'm sure he will be because it's Lewis Hamilton. But what does he have to do in 2024 this season to make his final hurrah for the team a success and lead him to victory? And is it even possible that he can lead them to victory? Well, I think Lewis is too proud and too professional not to do anything else but just commit fully and give it his all until until he, you know, closes the door behind him at Brackley at the end of the year. I don't think he will do anything different. It's clearly the, the end of the 2021 season is still lingering on his mind and the last two seasons have only made him more desperate, I think, to return uh, to the front. So... I don't think you'll we'll see anything different from Lewis. He'll just do his thing. He'll keep working and try and get the car to his liking. I think if Mercedes do succeed in addressing some of the issues that he's had with the car, including the cockpit position, including the, the rear ends being unpredictable, then I think we'll see the best Lewis Hamilton again. There's no really, real doubts about that. The other question is, you know, Will he get the best of Mercedes all the year because he's leaving? That's the main talking point, isn't it? Because now clearly George Russell is going to be the future of that team officially. Um, he'll be driving the development of next year's car way more, while Lewis will be gradually, we assume, frozen out, not of this year's car, but out, out of next year's projects that he won't be involved in. So will, will that change the dynamic in the team? Inevitably, it will. We just have to wait and see to what extent and how soon that's going to start. Yeah, I think Phil's hit the nail on the head there. I haven't read the press release from last year, but I did sort of note that in the announcement of this car, it's, it's George Russell who's quoted first of the two drivers. So, you know, it's Mercedes putting him as, as a new leader, but it will come down to that, won't it? Is who gets a new front wing in FP1 sessions and and whether there's like an obvious trend that let's say in the opening eight races, Lewis Hamilton is winning that, teammate qualifying battle and then as he is slowly sort of made less privy to what's going on behind the scenes developments does stuff move in George Russell's favour and and you know uh, and the form changes but in terms of Lewis Hamilton I think none of us really expect him to be running away with like any kind of title battle I think Verstappen may, remains a hot favourite for that so it's that teammate battle so that he leaves Mercedes with no question marks over like whether he's operating at the peak of his powers and that means when he's then going head to head with Leclerc to jump forward a few bits there's no no one going well is Leclerc going up against the best of Hamilton if he wins or loses that that teammate battle so that's all that Hamilton can do but you know he said before the launch that what great shape he's in how how physical his training's been and I still think you know okay we've seen a couple of incidents so the two that spring to mind are him versus Alonso at Spa in 2022 on the first lap him versus Russell into the first corner at Qatar where the judgment's been a bit uncharacteristic you go that's not Lewis Hamilton you know what, what's what gone on there that sort of 
failing to judge where the other car is. So I think he, he just, not that he's got anything to prove in his success record, but I think he just needs to just underline that he's still absolutely at the peak of his powers, Ferrari getting the best of him, and that what Mercedes achieved this season is the best that they can achieve. Yeah, and that big, big moment in Baku where he left the magic on and arguably that cost him the championship because if he hadn't have done that, he'd have gained some points and we wouldn't be in the situation. We probably probably wouldn't even have Lewis Hamilton in Formula One anymore. Yeah, it's a sliding doors moment, isn't it? We, we know how much sort of righting the wrong of 2021 is for him. And although, you know, it can be tedious when it's brought up in media sessions and, and years down the line, it does still... Uh, I'm convinced it all comes back to that and, and Toto Wolf doesn't shy away from that either he, he he does refer back to that and then every now and again you think F1's moved beyond it then Red Bull break the cost cap then Massa starts suing the championship so you think look at other events where you know the rules haven't been applied and whether the results will change so so F1 does does need to move on fr- from that but I, I still think it's a massive a massive thing for Hamilton and you know I've not been in that position where I've lost a you know, even an egg and spoon race on the line due to some horrible technicality. So I can't imagine what that's like. I want to know how many egg and spoon races you've taken part in now, man. <laughs> We've got no eggs left after Pancake Day. <laughs> Nicely done. I think this could be a whole different podcast, Matt. It's, uh, there's some legs in it. <laughs> egg and spoon race leg chat. Let's move to the other driver that you mentioned a few moments ago, and that is George Russell. Now, you mentioned that... Uh, the team may be positioning him as this number one driver. I think they certainly will be looking for 2025. Clearly, he's going to be the one that has the, the big Lewis Hamilton shoes to fill. You know, there's a fair bit of pressure on George Russell this season to outperform Lewis. And then, of course, next year to have that number one mantle on his shoulders. What's he been saying at today's launch? Well, he looked like a 12-year-old that was taken to Disneyland, really. He, he looked extremely excited. Um, he said he couldn't sleep last night. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's the massive opportunity for him, isn't it? He's going to be, by default, the, the longest-serving Mercedes driver next year. And depending on who they can bring in, he's probably going to be still the lead driver. He's got a massive opportunity now to, to really get the team around him even more than he already has done. He's clearly Mercedes's junior protege. So he's, he's, he's known the team, he's known Toto for such a long time now that this is really his team, much like McLaren is Lando's team and Ferrari is Leclerc's team at the moment. So it's up to him to, first of all, just to perform. He's had a really up and down 2023 uh, and he'll be the first to tell you, he, actually he did tell us on several occasions that it wasn't good enough last year, he wasn't consistent enough. Uh, and it's yeah, he, he needs a better car as well, obviously. But he's got a big year ahead, and um, I don't know that he needs to convince anybody that he's the lead driver. I think he he already has that support and that faith that he can be. But it, it depends on who they're bringing in. If there's somebody like Kimi Antonelli coming in, then clearly he will be the the, the lead driver because Antonelli will be an 18 year old rookie. But if they can somehow prior lose uh, an established top driver from another team, then he will have to prove himself again. So it really depends. But right now, he, he has the advantage of knowing the team very well and and he needs to use it. It could make for a really interesting dynamic in the sense that you've got Lewis Hamilton leaving, to, uh, George Russell wanting to establish himself as a clear number one. And then what do, that does for the inter-team relationship, do you have Russell wanting to sort of 
soak up every last bit of knowledge and experience Lewis Hamilton has before he goes? Do you want Russell absolutely doing his utmost to wipe the floor with Hamilton to prove he's on top? And if so, what does that do for the relationships inside the team with sort of both sides of the garages? Will they be, you know, basically galvanising around the, 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 the future lead driver and, and that makes it more harmonious in future seasons? Or, or will there be sort of a, a bit more tension than we've seen? Because... You know, since the start of their relationship, we had Russell coming in as a young pretender, Hamilton, who, you know, publicly didn't really want him there. He was quite happy to continue with Valtteri Bottas until the wind behind Russell was blowing too strongly. So, you know, and, and so far it seems it seems pretty cordial. Even you go back to Qatar, once Hamilton had reviewed the on-board footage, he was like, yeah, entirely my fault, I'll hold my hands up to that. So just will there be a bit more grit between them this year? Because basically it doesn't matter if it's no love lost because Hamilton, maybe he'll come back as a brand ambassador, but he's not going to be driving Mercedes Formula 1 car in Grand Prix anymore. So who cares if he goes while he's angry if that's Russell's mentality like if you know it's my last season to go up against statistically the best driver so whether he's in his title winning pomp or not let's get one over on him and, and show that this is my team before it becomes my team yeah I mean it could be a very very feisty season as you say and why not George putting it to, to Lewis a few times to to prove that he's got what it takes now let's just Remind ourselves, the last few years for Mercedes have been pretty poor by their own standards. The heavy porpoising, the lack of wins as well, compared to previous seasons. What do we think then? Do we think that Mercedes can start to challenge this season for that top step? What are your overriding thoughts, gents? I think there's a little chance of anybody challenging Red Bull. Uh, I hate to say, because like everybody else, I'd like to have a, a much more interesting and much more close uh, fight for the win. Um, We'll have to wait and see until Bahrain is maybe the boring answer, but I think it could be very close right behind Red Bull with Ferrari, with McLaren. I don't know if Aston will be in the mix necessarily, but it's possible. Um, and it, it goes back to what we said before, what success for Mercedes. I, f I think they desperately need a couple of wins. Hamilton hasn't won in a few years. He'll be desperate to go out with a win and close his Mercedes stint off. Um, he doesn't want to have a third season without a win. It's you know, it's it's not something he will be used to. So uh, they will probably be content with second, but close the gap to rebel substantially and get way more wins than they have done in the past couple of years. And I think it's possible, but it will just depend how close people can get to rebel. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, Mercedes scored fewer than half the points of Red Bull last year, so the natural expectation is to close that gap. But then what will we get from Sergio Perez? Either he's better and Red Bull score more points or he's as bad and he gets the boot. Daniel Ricciardo comes in, is closer, Red Bull score more points. So Mercedes need to close that gap. And I know we've, we've spoken a lot in this episode slash podcast about, you know, the areas Mercedes are looking to improve. But Ferrari have identified key areas anyway. And I know, you know, it's, it's ridiculous to read into this, but... Like if you compare their feedback from their shakedown last year to the Ferrari shakedown this year, they already seem more positive that the car seems a bit more settled. So again, if they can improve, if McLaren come on stream, as, as Phil said, we could have this mega battle for second. And if there's, you know, basically a sheet of paper that covers the three of them, Mercedes could be a closer to second to Red Bull or potentially fourth. So they they really sort of need to 
assert their place at the front of that queue and and maybe the new car concept helps with that because if they have a solid foundation then it's a revised sort of you know that they're they're re re basically they're they're treading new grounds so they'll have some strong upgrades hopefully to bring on to put on that car to be more competitive but yeah they have to they have to win races you know 2022 was a dreadful year and still more successful than last year in terms of, of the sort of the trophy hunting so that's where they need to get to and, and i think yeah a, a late season hamilton win would be would be a really nice sort of um footnote to that yeah, it'd be a nice uh, final farewell for him. Before we say farewell on this chat, I'm going to ask you a question. I've asked pretty much everybody on these uh, launch videos and podcasts we've been doing. This Mercedes, the W15, is it a hit or a miss, Matt? Uh, I'll, I'll say hit just because the expectations or, or the, the benchmark from the last two years are, are such massive misses that surely there's only one way to go, right? Bit of a, a Ron Burgundy moment just there, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Phil? It has to be a hit. There's no other option, really. So just, they've had two misses in a year, so you can't have a third. So it has to be. Well, time will tell. Thank you very much there to Matt and to Phil. We've got Red Bull's launch tomorrow to round out the launch season. And next week, we've got F1's Bahrain testing on Wednesday the 21st. So make sure you stick around and follow us for all of that. Thanks for listening to the Autosport Podcast. We'll catch you on the next one. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.